All right, guys, happy Friday. It is time for Splash Play, our review of the canceled cult classic. I don't think it's actually a cult classic. <laughs> ESPN Playmakers uh, rolls on today. Episode six, Spags. I don't know. Maybe we could make it a cult classic from our uh, rewatch. I think it's getting less classical the more weeks we go, but there's a cult following somewhere out there, and I hope they find these reviews and catch, uh, catch up with all of them on the playlist we have going on a Splash Play channel, but we're also going to talk a little bit of NFL, some tidbits that might be stolen from Pete's Fantasy Life newsletter, might not be. We'll find out right after this break. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And I'm Chris Spaggs, joined once again by the man who's got his own YouTube channel doing content out the wazoo every day. He's Peter Overzet. How are you doing, birthday boy, Pete? Also, you and your wife, same week birthdays. That is an interesting one. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, it makes it easy. We can, uh, we're going out to dinner with her family uh, tonight, so it should be good. And uh, yeah, man, an another year older. Ended up being a, a pretty fun uh, birthday, though. I don't know. Being uh, everyone was very kind online. We got to do Club Top Shot on Tuesday night. I got drunk during that show. And so, uh, you know, it felt like hanging out with friends just online. I actually opened it up and was like, oh, I'll check out Pete for a little bit. And at that point, you were off the stream and it was three guys who I did not recognize. It was Jack Settlement and then two guys who I didn't know offhand. And I, I, I don't know if that was a period where you got too drunk and disappeared or what the deal was. But um, I, I don't know if I missed something magical, Pete. And that's the thing that always worries me about your content. You're doing so many things in a given day. I don't even know what to catch up with and ask about. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's fine. I don't expect anyone to uh, to keep up with all my stuff. Brian asking how we can be broadcasting when uh, a tennis match is going on. I, I don't expect any of you to ever watch my stuff. So please go watch the tennis match. You can watch this on replay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's one thing you always have going here. Splash play. This one's going to be as timely as ever. So you can watch it whenever you please watch it in the, the throes of passion. There's significant other. I think there's a lot of ways here to make it work. Uh, watch it when you're hanging out with Haley's whisper models at a at the club and then over dosing them on cocaine but let's talk about the nfl news first and foremost and to make sure you guys are also following at splash play pod we're following everybody back on twitter and instagram and that's where you can find out about our latest shows when they are not competing with other buzzworthy internet events but nfl headlines tom brady patrick mahomes in the madden cover and i just feel like we have to cover this it is a big item always in football they're like wow these guys are on the cover of tom brady's joking about uh, the madden curse and all of that how he'll be okay i'm sure and um i don't have any thoughts pete i do think we need to revisit the idea of madden content now that you have some free time maybe you could become a big video game streaming twitch boy with madden coming out i think there's potential here for us yeah it's funny i did a show with uh rich rebar last night and he was telling me that he was actually ranked a top ranked madden player when he was in college uh and i was trying to figure out how many hours that would require to become that good and it sounded like a lot uh <laughs> I, I think i've told you my story before of how i was so bad at it when we would play madden tournaments in high school i would run the play clock all the way down because I at least then at the time understood the idea of ratcheting up variants, less plays meant more chances or less chances for my opponent to exert their skill over me. So yeah, I was the asshole doing that, but yeah, I would be interested in making a return to gaming for the sake of content. I mean, screw it. I'm playing chess now for content. I mean, why not Madden? 
I think there could be fun we'd have if we did, you know, maybe even include some of our some of our friends or really the the booking that Pete will do, I'm sure, to get guests potentially. But um, if we did like, you know, a league where we were running teams and then there's the, the drama of that, I think there's potential for something here, especially if we're feeling uh, like a little frisky with getting some more content out there. So we'll figure it out. But either way, the game, I think the Twitter reviews basically looks like the same old shit. I'm always though, like there's always cool animations in it where it's like, oh, Derek Henry throwing a stiff arm, Dalvin Cook. Wow, look at that juke move. I'm always buying in every year because I am a chump and a sucker, and I will do that once again this year. Speaking of buying in, the Bears buying in on Andy Dalton. He's allegedly starting for the Bears, and I thought the quotes from Justin Fields were really interesting and also why I think he is the great rookie hope here, the guy that I'm holding out uh, my potential hopes for. We talked about it pretty much all throughout. I know the most on the Josh Norris show that we did uh, before the NFL draft, but Justin Fields talking about how Andy Dalton's going to help him along, how he's basically been like a coach to him. He's sharing everything he can. I don't know that's what you would want, Pete, if you want Andy Dalton giving him the full imprint of his brain on your young rookie quarterback who the future is pinned to, but I like the way he's handling it. I feel like Justin Fields, like to me, grading out like a pro here, both in terms of his approach and just what he's saying to the media. Yeah, I, I wrote about this on, I think it was Wednesday. Uh, you know, I, I'm not buying it. I think it's, you know, the coaches, they don't want to piss off the incumbent veteran, and they also want to make sure that the rookie quarterback feels like he has to earn it. So this is just typical coach speak. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they are stubborn enough to play Andy Dalton a few um, weeks, but like, I don't know. This seems like just such an obvious situation that come training camp, come preseason, they're going to quickly realize that Justin Fields is uh, their future, as evidenced by them drafting him first overall. Andy uh, Dalton has zero upside. He's a you know he's a glorified game manager, and they're going to need Justin Fields' playmaking ability. Like they are going to need him to elevate the offense, and Andy Dalton can't elevate the offense. I mean, he's had good weapons around him even in Cincinnati, and he was never able to to do that. So I'll let Matt Nagy say whatever he wants, but I fully expect uh, Justin Fields to be the starter by week two or three at the latest. I always like the quotes too, where it's like, oh, the control that Andy's shown of the offense. And like, he really mastered everything that we need him to do out there. And that does basically scream game manager. And I'm with you. I think it's very possible. You do see week one end up being a Dalton start, but then maybe it ends up being an impotent one. Maybe he costs him a game. And I think they will be really fast to go to fields and fields based on the numbers, I think probably, and honestly the results too, and just the matchups he had and where the stages he was on probably the most pro ready guy or, or at least right up there with Trevor Lawrence. Some of the guys you should be able to expect to be able to step uh, from start from day one. So I'm willing to be there and uh, I'm willing to let Justin Fields have some great quotes, get, showing such magnanimous attitude towards Andy Dalton. I appreciate that. And here's one that I'm glad we're doing on a day where the YouTube chats can be a little less lively. Uh, Buffalo Bills wide receiver Cole Beasley on the league's new COVID-19 protocols calls the NFL PA a joke. And I'll read the quotes here. And I think Pete and I might maybe share similar sensibilities on this one, but maybe you'll surprise me, Pete. But he said, this is crazy. Did we vote on this? He wrote in response to the list of protocols. I stay in the hotel. We still have meetings. We will all be together. Vaccinated players can go out of the hotel bring COVID back into where I am. So what does it matter if I stay in the hotel now? 100% immune with vaccination? No. The Players Association is a joke. Call it something different. It's not for the players, he added. Everyone gives me the 98% of the people who are vaccinated don't get COVID again. The odds of me getting in the NFL and playing for 10 years are lower than that. And I'm here. So um, I don't know, Pete, if you have... <laughs> 
thoughts hard, about- hard to believe that this guy's an anti-vaxxer, right? <laughs> it is. Uh, he and Josh Allen is keeping the, the thoughts about his vaccination to himself. And look, I got to say, I, I get people you know, being afraid of things that are new, people having some reservations and all that. But if you're an NFL player, I guess let's take it at this level. I don't know how you're not just doing it and sucking it up, no matter what you believe, no matter what uh, QAnon threads you're reading on Reddit. Like, I feel like here it's just you just get the vaccination because your life's going to be so much better as a professional athlete. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is like, I mean, as we saw recently with John Rahm and, you know, there are going to still be consequences. There will be games canceled. Like you could ruin things with your schedule for your team because you get COVID. Like that's still very much in play, even though the majority of the leagues vaccinated, you know, vaccinations are, are rising all around the country. You would think we would have a more streamlined season this year without too much stuff. But like if you do have holdouts like this, like you're not. I mean, this has been the whole thing about COVID all along, right? It's not just about you. It's about everyone else around you. Like he could easily wipe out a Bills game uh, once he gets tested for COVID and then they have no choice but to, to shut everything down. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's it's kind of it's selfish in a way that's not, you know, like, again, I get having reservations. I do get the uh, fears of longitudinal data or lack of longitudinal, uh, longitudinal data and all that. But to me, at a certain point, it's just like, hey, you know, the the sharpest minds in the world and also society in general needs everybody to be on board with it. And, and you know, and for athletes in particular, your teammates need you to be there. And and if I think, too, like the way that they're incentivizing these guys to do it, like one thing I talked about with my girlfriend and just in general, just as a social theory, like if they gave you a tax credit for getting a vaccination, if they're like, hey, you get 10K and free taxes every year. I think you'd see a lot of people get it. Like they're basically incentivizing the players where your lives can be normal. You can go out to dinner. You can go out to the club. You can go uh, do things they were doing in Playmakers here. Like I think it's just like it's the right move by the NFLPA. And if anything, they're doing the move by their players where um, I don't know, given it's like giving a child a bath and they don't want it. Like you need the bath anyway. And that's basically what they're doing to them. I hadn't ever thought of that idea, the the tax benefits or some kind of financial or incentive. And then you really uh, get to find out how, um, I don't know, how rooted you are in your beliefs of, you know, being skeptical yeah. about it. does a little money where everyone I sure has a number, right? Like, you know, uh, so I don't know that that's actually an interesting thought experiment. And that's going to be part of my presidential platform for the next <laughs> monster pandemic we have. Uh, Pete, I'm over 35. I can do it at any time now. I'm just waiting to pull the trigger. Wait, waiting for Splashway to get a few more subscribers. Then it's going to be all full steam ahead. So I have a ton of notes for playmakers here. And I know we got a hard out today at 2 p.m. East Coast time. So we're going to make sure to get through it. But did you have any overall thoughts in this episode? Because I felt like there was a lot going on, but also it went by fast in a way where I was surprised I had as many notes as I did. I, um, I will say the past like three episodes, I've said, you know, this is the most insane episode of the series. This was the first one where I felt like we were back kind of like median level, like playmakers episode. And I will say also for the first time, there was a storyline to me that didn't feel forced. And it actually felt like a payoff for setting that up. And that is with Samantha leading the investigation on Leon. I was like, this is a very nice setup. You know, she was into him. And now, of course, she hears this story about the domestic violence. And now there's this complicated, you know, journalistic love triangle going on here. And I was like, that actually feels natural, like it unfolded in the pacing of the story. I was like, well done, Playmakers. You're six episodes in and you're finally, you know, hitting your stride a little bit here. I also thought they had the only nice uh, storyline too, but I guess I'll say which one I thought that was that it was in this episode. Certainly um, uh, a bit of a journey to get there. And uh, real fast before we get into it all, Brian Schultz saying free factional fractional man's coin for getting vaxxed. I think Pete, you could be the change that you want to see in the world. 
That's right. I could get at least, I think I'd have to check my supply, about 35 people vaccinated with a man's coin incentive. I mean, it's time for me to do my part. But that's the core of 35. They're the ones who've really been holding everything back, I'd say. <laughs> Let's get into Playmakers Episode 6, Man in Motion. Guys, hit the like button if you can, whether you're watching on Peach Channel or on the Splash Play Channel. If you're catching up with our Playmakers recaps, feel free to go check out uh, the playlist that we have on the Splash Play YouTube channel. We've got all these episodes here. Just jump to the uh, the episode parts where we talk about it. But here we go. We start Episode 6, Man in Motion, with Gerwitz, who is doing the opening monologue. A guy we just met last week. He's lined up outside talking about the nuance of wide receiver play. And I feel like pete I, I think by the end of the episode it all makes a little more sense but i think it still fits the theme here i feel like the creators here got some show notes and they were like why don't we have a single wide receiver out there and also can we make this guy questionable like can we give him some mystery to him as well and i feel like it's just one of those things where in a good show a normal show this would be season two they would just roll it out then like oh let's get some new characters and this guy came in free agency he's on board now and here in playmakers though they just throw him in when we're apparently at the end of the season and we haven't seen this guy since last week yeah. And also, uh, I just want to talk about like the entire kind of metaphor and framing device of this entire episode where clearly this is a, this was an episode about deception and concealing things, but I would like to say they made it a little too thick with, as it pertains to the football field. It was like nothing else matters for their game plan, except their deception and their hiding. I mean, there was one of the, like one of the quotes from the opening monologue that just killed me was, you don't have to be big or fast if you know how to sell with your eyes. And I'm like, I actually do uh, assume size and athleticism is, is way more important than what you could do with your eyes in the field. But man, uh, I got the metaphor uh, loud and clear playmaker. You could just be Beetlejuice from the Howard Stern show out there and you'd be perfectly fine as long as he's misdirecting with his eyes and looking like he's going to do a crack block instead of just fall down on the field. Uh, Coach says that's how you sell a fake in regards to Gerwitz. Again, they did not. They were really foreshadowing here. I, I bet they really patted themselves on the back here for the oh, foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, DH, though, did not sell the play as well. Um, and then DH is mad about it. One freaking play, you're going to crawl up my ass is what he says. And the coach is really yelling at DH in a way that DH as a man is clearly not used to. And I feel like that's one of the things from coaching, certainly a finer point of coaching, but you can't coddle the player all the time out and then be like surprised that all of a sudden he's going to respond very poorly when you yell at him in front of everybody while he's also having a litany of drug issues. Yeah, watching this scene, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like... Ugh. Something doesn't add up for me because either DH is just like a truly transcendent talent or Leon is actually washed up because for as much shit as DH puts the coaches, his teammates, literally everyone around him through, and yet they won't go to Leon, just like give Leon the start. Like they were finally forced to because he was obviously going to rehab, but it doesn't seem like they wanted to. Someone offered you a first round pick for Leon and you refused to trade him. Uh, apparently, like, it's either play Leon and just be like DH, like running backs are replaceable. We're going to just go next man up here. We got Leon, the, the savvy vet who someone wants to trade a first for. I'm just not buying that they would put up with this much shit from DH. I think so. The next scene, I feel like maybe explains it more where the coach goes to the owner. Um, he's very aware that DH is doing a ton of drugs and mentions it to Will Banks. And by the way, Will Banks in my notes, I keep calling Bidwell because I guess in my mind, I'm thinking of the Cardinals owner for some reason, which and I had to like actually find and replace it and just autocorrect all Bidwells to Will Banks. So if I say Bidwell, that's the reason why DH is apparently third in the league in rushing. So the owner doesn't care, even if DH may die on the field with coconut uh, system as the coach is worried about. But the coach won't play him again until he's cleaned up. DH being third in the league, 
I feel like that's viable. I'm a little surprised to hear that he's that good, but I guess Pete, that does fit the narrative a little bit better. And we just, we obviously don't see the results enough game in game out, but he does seem to have like a 125 yard game every time they talk about him. Yeah. I mean, as we said, it's all, it's the only play they run is handing <laughs> the ball to DH. So, you know, he almost should, uh, but yeah, uh, also, I, this might be skipping ahead, but the owner getting a haircut in his office is like the most like, what's what do rich guys do? It's like, oh, someone cuts and cuts his hair for him in his office. That is true. That is a wealthy guy thing to do. But now, like, I feel like that's something every athlete does. Like some of these guys travel with barbers now. I mean, same thing for uh, hip hop guys and all that, too. So I don't know. Maybe they, maybe this is a scene that really led to that revolution of guys being like, yeah, I could have a barber, too. <laughs> real, real aspirational moment. Uh, Will Banks is putting DH in the detox. It could be 72 hours of rapidly accelerating narcotic detoxification. Actually, you know, what? I'm curious now if that's. I I was literally going to ask you if this was a real thing, like part of like the, like putting him in like an induced coma or whatever. Like I was like, is this actually something that happens or is this from the mind of the playmakers writers? It's definitely not coming up as a Google term, but let's see. Um, it gives you a rehab helpline. There's rapid opiate detoxification that's on uh, PubMed, which is an NIH.gov site. So I guess it is a thing, but they maybe made it a different name. Um, yeah, rapid opioid detoxification, I guess, is a real thing. So okay. I guess kudos to playmakers being <laughs> not good about football realism, but for drug realism, they're right there for it. Yeah, no. Uh, all right. Yeah, I, I stand corrected there. I mean, there's still uh, some elements of his rehab experience. I think we can kind of question uh, if that's actually how something like that would transpire. But uh, it's good to know that the science is sound. Yeah, so DH tells Will Banks that he doesn't have a drug problem as his nose literally bleeds violently due to his intense drug problem. I just tough timing for that nosebleed is the main thing I would say. Like he would have, he might have had a case if his nose didn't decide to simultaneously uh, just completely combust in front of his eyes. Yeah, yeah, definitely a tough timing for him there. Uh, you would like to, uh, you know, you'd like to see him uh, save that nosebleed for when it's, uh, you know, tipping <laughs> off uh, his crack addiction as much as it did. Yeah, just you know, save it for private time. That's what we say. Olshek is wearing some sort of Persian club owner shirt while being best friends with Leon. And they clearly have moved on from the the decisions or issues that they had last episode over the domestic violence issues. His excitement over DH's meltdown is what uh, Olshek is focusing on here as Leon clearly excited. And then Olshek decides to pick Leon up and twirl him around. And I just felt like the horseplay was a little bit out of place after they these guys were just adding each other's throats last episode and i guess we, they are friends so that's gonna happen like you know brotherhood friendship all that but there's a lot of whimsy for guys who are just in a real dark situation the last time that we saw them yeah um it's these guys continue to uh be all over the place with their stuff there and uh yeah the are they still at the same club every single time? Is that is that what we're it looks like? It, but but every club looks the same. I feel like other than, other than like the ones in Miami Beach where they're like seven stories tall and all that shit. But like in general, like they could be going to different ones. I do think it's more fun to imagine they just go to the same one every single time. I mean, I gotta say, like the teammate bonding continues to be through the roof. I mean, these guys all constantly going to the club together i mean for as much as like we'll get the sucker punching and the infighting and stuff these guys do seem to really enjoy hanging out with each other outside of uh football true uh, and then speaking of hanging out outside of football samantha calls because child services pete was talking about earlier hit her up to investigate leon's domestic violence situation and this is one where i thought it would be odd that a government official would tip off a media agency and like i don't know why that was my first reaction but it seemed like they had left that resolved and i guess that lady did seem like a bit of a, a budinsky if you will with how she was intruding in leon's life uh, and leon and robin's life when they were at the hospital but it surprises me that that would be the sort of the the device here to get that plot focus 
forward is that that lady would call the media and particularly call like this uh, Samantha Girls organization to get that news story going. I just didn't buy that as the, the rationale to keep this this plot going. Yeah, I mean, how it actually happened, yeah, they probably could have done that uh, more delicately, but I did think that was just a good way to tie those two storylines together, and then I thought there was a good payoff later in the episode, and she might even get my actor of the episode award, but, you know, Leon's wife there, and you can tell how pained she is to lie but she dislikes Samantha so much that she doesn't want to give Samantha the W on this. It was like anyone else. She was like, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the truth. Uh, but I thought the tricky spot that that put her uh, Leon's wife in actually made it kind of worth it as a storyline. Yeah, so the owner does end up talking to Leon, and we'll, we're going to jump around a little bit here because as they always do in Playmakers, we are going between every single player at every good time. The owner does talk to Leon about the domestic violence situation, tells Leon that he needs to get Robin to tell the story that they want. Uh, Leon asks, you want me to get her to lie? The owner outright says that he does. Her word's the only one that matters. And um, Robin, uh, I guess we, uh, I'm just going to go through the domestic violence ones because this is the one we hate the most, so let's get it out of the way, like the vegetables or something uh, for the show. Robin's laying all sexy in bed. Leon asks where the kids are. She clearly wants wants to bone but he wants to talk about domestic violence which i'm going to say naturally not an aphrodisiac robin thinks that the samantha the reporter is targeting the story to get at them and he outright asks robin to lie to the reporter and say it was an accident um and he says that you want us to have a life after football do you think i'm going to get a job if the public sees me as a wife beater and i feel like ray rice has been the proof that it's probably he was leon very prescient here that you're not going to get very many jobs after that and um robin then i guess agrees to lie after leon takes a shower and it's just pete this storyline this has been our least favorite storyline by a while and boy today we get to really bask in it in every possible scene yeah um also too like you you get the implication because of the whole you know domestic violence thing that they haven't made love in a long time you would have to believe that leon would maybe want to make love and then like have that conversation like i mean i don't know how long he was thinking that was going to take but you would think that conversation could maybe wait you know 15 20 minutes if anything but uh whatever you got to do leon uh to get there and yes we're like i said i i felt i wasn't as annoyed about the scenes uh with her and leon this this week as i've been in previous weeks because it actually felt like it was building towards something instead of just delaying it constantly seeing the replay of what happened over and over uh and that we're gonna get some resolution uh but yeah these guys are awful yeah and i did think they sort of i i guess waited in a way that you know the way they were talking about it and certainly uh what leon does at the end of the episode does seem like uh there's some accountability that comes out so i think you're right that they move the ball forward but just every time i see these scenes i'm just like god can we move on and, and robin to her credit she really did rally to get sexy times going after all this uh this tough time she i feel like in that bed leon should have done the job then as pillow talk pete i think that's the time you bring up hey will you lie about the domestic violence situation that we endured yeah i mean leon's been pretty selfish through this whole thing if i guess if anything we could say this was you know a first selfless act actually having the hard conversation uh before getting his rocks off and this is not this is not normal splash play conversation but i'm just <laughs> gonna throw it out into the universe but uh there is a thing where if you when you ejaculate inside a woman there's a dopamine effect that does occur for the woman and then builds attachment so again if you're gonna do that it just made chemical sense as well as what i'm gonna throw in pete if you have no comment it's completely fine no comment <laughs> Let's talk about McConnell. Speaking of no comment, McConnell is showing photos of women who are quote unquote Haley's whisper models. So I, I enjoyed them making that thinly veiled Victoria's Secret. And also, I don't know if you saw this this week, Pete, but I uh, talking about it in, in the apartment.
apartment here with with my lady. I don't know why I said that that way. I hate myself for, <laughs> for introducing that. Victoria's Secret took a rebrand this week, and I thought it was actually kind of interesting where they're getting rid of the angels now and they're doing like a like a pro woman one. And the CEO is like, yeah, we've been marketing to men this whole time. We realized we should market to women. It's like, you think? <laughs> yeah, that's when they had the realization. All those bags. There is a scientifically, there's a dopamine release uh, when you say my lady and it actually uh, draws you closer in your relationship. So I know what you're doing there. That's uh, that's exactly it. I'm always trying to use those little tricks whenever <laughs> I can. Uh, but McConnell has, so McConnell has both the catalog and then he has a photo of outtakes that he says are lewd outtakes from photo shoots, which I mean, he's the quarterback of a team. I feel like this has to be a big city team because like, I'm sure these models aren't going to Cleveland to hang out. Um, so maybe this, here's the question, Pete, is this Miami? Do we think this is Miami? Um, I guess now that you say it, I'm trying to think of like them driving around and stuff. And it does seem Florida E in the nightclub scene being popping. Yeah. I think Miami is a safe guess. I mean, that's also where they filmed ballers, which is kind of like the heir apparent to playmakers as well. So yeah, that checks out. Oh boy, you're suggesting a ballers rewatch. <laughs> I actually fell off on that when I never finished the last season and I'm completely okay with that decision. Yeah, I will. Yeah, once they started adding in the um, like the Las Vegas like stadium and all of that shit, like I started to check out. But the first season was was pretty solid. I enjoyed it. It was like Entourage, but with football, maybe yeah. not quite as uh, as funny as Entourage was at points. But neither was Entourage by the end of that show. Anyway, McConnell's got the outtakes. He's got lewd outtakes that feels illegal is the main thing I'll say based on modern standards. McConnell is <laughs> seeing someone, but he's still McConnell refers to himself as the quote unquote pimp in the box and the also quote unquote ruler of the fun bags and Gerwitz we see at this point is lying to a significant other about watching a fellow player's kids tonight the teammate bond and any thoughts on the scene Pete the guys just being hound dogs for for ladies and um just being really all about it like I get it I feel like if you're hanging out with these Haley's whisper models that's a big moment in any man's life whether you be a pro athlete or not but it just felt very juvenile in a way like an 80s teen comedy where it's like hey we're all gonna get laid fellas and I don't know and then really none of them did that's that's completely how it seemed to me too it felt like the way college kids or like when you're 13 and you find the playboy like in the shoebox underneath your you know dad's bed or whatever like that was the energy it had it's like we've already established like you can literally snap your fingers and a girl in the stands will come meet you at halftime so like why are we like just so losing our minds over this little rolodex of you know salacious photos uh i thought that was uh well uh or overblown there and and also, like, how does McConnell now just speaks in like basically all these riddles and double entendres? Like every single thing he says is like some cute turn of the phrase. It's just like, what the fuck? He's preparing for his Batman villain turn because clearly the quarterbacking thing not working out that well for him. So he's got to he, look. He's the ruler of the fun bags, and I'm not one to question that kind of title, no matter how no matter how you come across it. That's certainly been well deserved, I'm sure. DH is at uh, the rehab center, and uh, the lady who's there tells him that he's going to be put under, and I guess the doctor as well tells him he's going to be put under. Um, actually, no, I'm, I'm messing up the scenes here. Uh, first, he's with the detox lady. He's going to be kept in a room while guys guard outside. Uh, clearly, we will find those guards are not the most competent or dedicated to their jobs, and DH. In this situation, Pete, initially before we talk to the doctor guy who's going to put DH under, uh, he's also getting cavity searched by the old white lady for drugs. And I feel like the the main lesson of the show is that everybody is trying to check out DH's asshole for drugs. Yeah, I mean, it, that's such a, a wonderful callback there. And uh, and I love the like look on his face. Like when it was the piss man one, he was just like so disgusted. Uh, in this one, he's just like, 
oh shit, here we go again. Like, you know, different day, new people just trying to get into my cavity. <laughs> Thankfully, it was a woman, so he didn't have to be all homophobic like he was with the doctor trying to yeah. uh, put a catheter in him or ureter in him. But yeah, that's uh, DH, everybody all about that ass. Uh, DH is going to be put under as the lesson that comes later on from meeting with the doctor. Uh, he's going to have to sleep for 10 hours, then he'll get a metabolic booster that gets the drugs out of his system. After that, he'd have to take one pill a day that neutralizes the effect of a drug, and it won't ever allow him to get high if he does one. Um, so I don't, I, I guess we could talk about this. First of all, that drug sounds very interesting. And I don't know if that's a real one either, but it sounds like it would be effective to not do drugs if you can't get a high out of drugs. But second of all, I thought they were doing this immediately to DH. They made it sound like he was going to go in the other room and get put to sleep right away. And instead yeah. he's up and gets to think about it and escape. And that's just, that's poor form. I feel like for the rehab center. Yeah. Why? I mean, that's, it sounds like that is, like you said, the tent pole of this program, like just do it right away. And then he's like in recovery or whatever, you're going to give him a night to just sit around in that case, like just maybe they, they need like a clear detox before then who knows. Um, also I love when they tell him, you know, the effect of that is like, no matter what you do with drugs, you will, you will feel it. And I feel like we didn't get an actual response from DH, but in his head, I bet he took that as a challenge. He's like, I bet. <laughs> I can do enough crack that I will feel it no matter what you give me. He's kind of thinking like, oh, this should be fun to try. Yeah. And also too, like if this is like clearly some sort of wealthy, like, hey, like, you know, the owner sets him up and puts it there. Like this is like the highest end of detox you can get. It's fast. It's like supposed to be efficient. They're giving you supplements and all that. I just don't think they make you suffer for like 16 hours of withdrawals either. Like that just seems like I'm not paying for to withdrawal either. Unless I guess you like you're saying you completely couldn't do it. But I just felt like, look, I want to know more about the science. I know there's not all the time on playmakers to get into a uh, drug rehab <laughs> science but if you're gonna go there give me the whole enchilada and can we just talk about like the guys rifling through his suitcase like they're literally going through like every single shred of clothing but then he like gives him 40 dollars and lets him leave <laughs> like it's like do you i mean it just, like where do you actually care about your job or not it's true. They're, that guy will not be winning employee of the year if I have any say about it, at least. Uh, and then also the doc says, I thought you guys were a playoff team. Didn't they get into the playoffs the other week? Like, wasn't that the whole point was that they needed a win against the playoffs and then they had the win in that game where they came back. So I, I just feel like this, this for a show that's still fundamentally about a sport, there has to be like the sound logic of the sport. Like you have to see the games. You have to know there's sort of a flow to it. And when it's shit like this, like I thought we were in and now apparently we're not even near the playoffs. See, I didn't even catch that. To be honest, I didn't think that they were even in playoff contention. I had gotten the vibe that they had like lost a bunch and had only won like one or two games. But for me, I was just like, okay, generally people coming in for rehab, they're already in a very fragile state, both like emotionally, the, the chemicals in their, you know, the brain chemistry, all that. And you're going to start needling this guy about being on a losing football team, like that's what you're going to do to ease his mind and put him in a place where he feels like he can go through with this. I'm like bold strategy with this one, doc. Yeah. When you get a chance to rib, I guess, an athlete about their team, people, I mean, you know, from the fans, what they yell at players. Sometimes uh, people just got to take that shot. Even if you are a doctor here, who's going to be sedating this man and being a medical professional, um, big sexy is the guy that I'm referring to the emotionally abused offensive lineman. Um, I guess we learned, I don't recall Pete, if I've ever heard his name once in the show before today, I but the coach yeah. calls him James. I presume that's his last name, but I, I like big sexy more for him. Yeah, I every time I'm I go to take a note on him and I just write lineman. <laughs> just like yeah, I keep forgetting his name. He's been the most important character in the show who they have not decided to spend any time on investing as like somebody you could reference and be like, hey, like I swear to God, that man has not had a name once in any episode we've seen. 
no, completely. Like, give us one scene of him like going home and like taking care of his grandma or something to like flesh out that this guy does have a heart of gold and that's why he's willing to you know help out all of his teammates in these situations. But yeah, he's uh, they have no time to develop his character. And I think too, this is what another reason I feel like the show just got a bunch of notes from somebody that were like, okay, hey, let's get this back on track. They give this guy a name. They have the Gurwitz. They have the other wide receiver who we're going to see in this next scene at the club. But like that guy has some background. But I don't think they gave him a name either. But I just feel like there were some notes here that were not congruent with the first five episodes of the show, but in a positive way where it does make a little sense and these people are actual human beings with motivation. A big sexy is giving character bios to the characters at the club. He's talking about Gurwitz. He's talking about this other wide receiver. It's like basically listing these guys and what their profiles are another helpful bit of exposition and the models were all curious and i guess they were intrigued by gerwitz and all that and um then big sexy gets interrupted by dh calling him looking for drugs or we don't know yet and we end up on this chase here where I, this lineman guy i know we, by the end of the episode he gets on the right track but i gotta say pete i i appreciate you as much as anybody i enjoy our shows together if you ever asked me to break you out of a detox center after you've had a rampant crack addiction that has affected all of our lives and the lives of our teammates and families i'm probably to leave you in the rehab center for another four days yeah you know this poor guy uh again the they still write his character as if he's like DH's friend from high school. Who's like willing to do all this stuff to like stay on the entourage. It's like, no, this is theoretically a starting lineman in the NFL making millions of dollars a year. And he is willing to just basically wait on DH hand and foot, take care of his every need, put his own career and legal status in jeopardy falling on the sword from this guy. It's like, what has DH ever done for you to warrant this? Like you have a great life. Stop blowing it on this dude. Yeah, I, it does feel like a little bit of a Stockholm Syndrome thing, but it's it's very odd, and I guess he just is a people pleaser, so I get that. DH does bribe the guard to let him out. Now, uh, Big Sex, he's taking DH out of detox to go get more drugs, and I just wrote classic DH antics because I feel like this is what we're used to at this point, and we're back to the club, and the girl who Old Chick hooked up with the other night that he uh, had the weird situation with his dad is apparently now dating McConnell, and I guess also a, a Haley's Whisper model, which... You know, look, I she seems like a lovely girl. I just wouldn't have thought initially when I saw her, like, oh, this girl is a an international model of some note. She just seemed like a goofy girl who liked football. Yeah. And also, don't you think that would have come up? You know, like they, you know, for as quickly as they dated, it got pretty intense. She had dinner with his dad. It seemed like they were having some, you know, true emotional connections there. You thought she maybe would have mentioned uh that she was part of this, and that's like some big reveal that she's part of this uh huge modeling thing. Yeah, then Olshik and McConnell's shared girl talks to Olshik, and she clearly likes him, but was burned by him disappearing after their hookup, which doesn't feel like an Olshik thing to do, but he is a pretty self-involved guy, and he's got his own issues going on, and he was temporarily involved in somebody else's domestic violence situation, so I guess he has been distracted a little, but she prefers McConnell right now because, as Olshik said, McConnell may be a quote-unquote coos hound, uh, but she finds him to be honest about who he is, and I have to say, she's a character, too. Like, I thought it was a little odd that first date scene they had, though still mostly nice, but she's kind of written in a way that feels modern where like she's like yeah this guy's a scumbag but like you're also being a scumbag and at least pretending like you're a nice guy so i kind of got her logic here and, and i felt like she isn't a terribly written woman on a show where there are many many terribly written men and women really yeah although it does seem like mcconnell is almost like a caricature of the like you know dipshit you know womanizing qb where olshik has been painted to be you know a more thoughtful uh, version of these NFL athletes. You know, he clearly uh, is capable of more emotions, empathy than a lot of these guys. He's one of the few 
guys on the team who's even just capable of thinking about anyone other than himself. So I thought it was like she real that like resonated with her that he was kind of different. And then going to the other extreme of uh, McConnell, it was almost like she's like, yeah, McConnell's just a dude I want to hook up with, but you're the kind of guy that I could actually have an emotional connection with. Yeah, I think it's a reasonable way to look at it. And I, I feel like, yeah, the McConnell type is definitely like, you know, the the guy in Wedding Crashers, like that sort of typical, like, oh, he's the guy who's getting the girl right now, but our guy's going to get the girl by the end. And um, yeah, I think it's it's sort of trite, but I guess uh, McConnell ends up being less of a douchebag by the end of the episode. So we'll give him that. Uh, in between the club scenes, we're getting Robin telling Samantha the lies about how she got hurt. Samantha then drops the hammer, and I think she thought she was going to get Robin, saying that the Department of Child Services lady said that uh, Robin uh, admitted to Leon hitting her. And then Robin says she lied because she was mad at Leon. And I got to say for a girl in Robin, who was really dead set against lying initially, she lied fantastically. I think her lying was really <laughs> one of some of the best acting she's done. So uh, kudos to Robin, I guess, for her lying skills. Can I, can I, there was something that really threw me off the way they set up that interview with Samantha and the couple. Um, the, so they, there's two pieces of what it looked like coffee cake that were like perfectly set on the table and they had like the steaming coffees. And so what I thought is that, oh, this is like, you know, a stage like prop for a video interview. Like they were trying to get the set all perfect, but then it was just the tape recorder right there. And so I just couldn't really understand why did we have to have prop coffee cake if it wasn't actually being filmed? I mean, no one's eating that while you're getting interviewed about domestic violence. Well, I think the, I, I would think the point is that like, if she's so at ease that she had time to make coffee and coffee okay. cakes for this occasion. So I, I think that. that's it. Or maybe just somebody wanted coffee cake. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's completely reasonable. I haven't had coffee cake in a while, but coffee cake's pretty sick, like thinking back in hindsight. Well, I just, I don't know why, but I, or why I got hung up on that. But I also laugh when Samantha, she like asked a question. You could see like the smoke, like the, or the steam coming off the coffee. And she takes the sip from there as she asks. So, so did your husband actually hit you? we all like a good cup of joe they just got a french press here that's new in 2003 so they're probably really stoked about it i don't know there's there's some logic to it but it did feel it's honestly like you ever watch comedians in cars getting coffee and it's like wow like i'm not a coffee guy but i watch that and it's like they merely make coffee look pretty that was what somebody was auditioning for with this scene they're like oh make beautiful coffee cake and coffee amidst the domestic violence interview yeah, exactly. Uh, DH is at the mo model party now, and he's doing coke with a girl who also was Big Sexy's girl. So DH just a terrible friend once again. The girl ends up having seizures and maybe ODing in the back of the car with DH and Big Sexy. DH wants to ditch the girl at the hospital curb. But Big Sexy does, in fact, carry her to a paramedic, uh, save, I guess costing them an extra 30 seconds of time. But DH is, DH is such a piece of shit. He's I wrote classic shit. DH antics again, but he is just like, leave the girl at the curb of the hospital when it genuinely took i mean obviously it's a tv show it took 15 seconds more for him to just hand her off and go like yeah you don't need my name go take care of her yeah and not to mention and again uh, going a little bit forward but when he finds out that she's okay you know big sexy calls and tell and he's just like that's good like he, <laughs> there's no sense of actual relief or caring it's just like okay i don't give a fuck thanks for that useless piece of information you just told me like he is such a shitty dude and it's weird, too, because like with the, the Cal shooting situation, too, like DH clearly had some issue with Cal being like, but his life from mine, like it doesn't matter with the other guy getting arrested or whatever, or the guy getting shot or and him not getting arrested. And it's like DH showed that remorse, but this girl's literally ODing as a direct result of him. And he has no compassion at all. I, it seems odd, but, you know, I, DH is going through a lot. So I guess you got to cut him some slack. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it was like it was honestly a pretty uh, jarring, visceral scene. Like her convulsing and her lips are blue, and then it's just like, oh god, these are not the two people uh, you want taking care of you during this situation. They barely even slowed down at the hospital to uh, drop her off. Also, maybe the tennis match is ending now. Uh, Brandon Johnson asking, "What did I just walk into?" <laughs> and then and Shooter here, Shooter McGrath, uh, saying saying here, "We're not missing anything. We're learning about dopamine. That is what this show is all about: teaching you about the various ways you get dopamine, and and in fact, just have your significant other ejaculate inside of you whenever you, whenever you need a boost, or I guess do it for yourself. I don't know, or uh, say my lady." <laughs> yes, I would say my lady. Lots of ways to get it going. Uh, Big Sexy no longer down for DH's bullshit once again, which I feel like has been a common narrative for Big Sexy. So I'm sure he'll end up giving him a crack next episode or something. But he's going to stay with DH for the rest of the detox uh, situation. And the detox lady seems not delighted, but also maybe happy that I guess this is the breakthrough he needed. I was unclear of her reaction, but I feel like it was one of like, oh, and then it was like, okay, this could work. That, yeah, it's, uh, she, you know, she's seen it all the time on like, like, how many times has she had a patient who checks in, sneaks out, does coke, has a girl he's doing coke with, get convulsions, and then drive back and uh, recheck back in? I mean, I'm sure it's something she sees every day on the job. Yeah, that's just classic stuff. That's the kind of antics that everybody gets into when they're doing the rapid, accelerating, whatever, neurosis, doctor, drug, rehab. Uh, Haley's secret model is asking about uh, asking Gerwitz about what makes a man's man. While Gerwitz is doing a voiceover about keeping a lie going, his phone's ringing. The model girl kisses him, and he is reluctant. She senses that, and she thinks it's because he has a girlfriend. He says he's in the middle of a breakup, uh, makes out with her harder, and uh, given what we know at the end of the episode of Gerwitz, and he is uh, revealed to be a gay man, I I'll spoil that now for everyone, but I just feel like this is one where they're still trying to keep the thread there that like, oh, he might be, you know, whatever, might be a guy who's just cheating on his girlfriend. But I feel like just the clues were there all along where it felt like they were being, they thought they were being coy, but it was pretty clear he's just a gay dude who's going through the motions. Yeah, they really tried to, uh, I should say they didn't try too hard to sell us on this thing of that he was, you know, really going through a breakup and that's why he couldn't, you know, make out with this girl there. So, uh, yeah, you know, we, we saw this one coming from a mile away and I'm fine. I'm glad that they waited to introduce Gersh, uh, Gershwich, what last week. And then, uh, just really sped up this, uh, storyline before revealing, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like your first time we introduce you, you're helping secure and helping DH smoke crack. And then in the next episode, we're going to reveal that you just came out of the closet. So he's getting the proper due here. The more shocking one, and honestly, this is one of those things where it wouldn't be like terribly surprising if it were the case, but the more shocking one would be like if McConnell were gay and it were like, oh, right. like what? Like you've set him up as this pussy hound and like he's the king. He's the king of the fun bags and all that. And now it's like, oh, he's gay. But instead, it's just like, oh, I could feel like McConnell's actor being like, I'm not going to play the gay one. And they're like, oh, fine, we'll just get another actor in and he'll do it. And that, it's, I don't know, it just seemed like bad storytelling in a way that that hurts me as somebody who does enjoy well-crafted content. Yeah, McConnell actually would have been uh, a good reveal and more of a, a bait and switch based on his attitude. And then you could actually justify it as he's yeah compensating for all of that behavior. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's that's me here. You know, if they want to jump back in time and fix the show, that's the way that I would do it. Old shit goes off to bang another model girl, but he's clearly thinking about the one with O'Connell, who is uh, we're reminded her name is Beth. And then we're back at the team with practice. Gerwitz is apparently the only one on the team who could sell a fake. Such clever foreshadowing. Once again, uh, we learned the lineman guy's name is James here, but we will continue to call him Big Sexy. And I always write down the football things they actually talk about. And uh, because I, I don't know if it'll be interesting to talk about, but uh, there's so little here, actual football information <laughs> yeah. in the show. They're facing Baltimore next, who's allowed 
allowed 61 points in seven games, haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher in two years, and they run a 3-4 defense. This actually sounds like the real-life Ravens, which is the one thing that threw me for a loop and makes sense because a blitz-heavy team like the Ravens, mm-hmm. you'd be doing a lot of fakes and then you know, have to sell the fake and all that. This is the one time in the show where I'm like, wow, what is go- like, what happened? They slipped in actual accuracy. Yeah. This team runs the three, four so well, they basically have a patent on it. I was like, yeah, what a lie there. And then he's just like yelling concealment, 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 concealment. Uh, Still the only way to beat the Ravens is to hide your intentions on every single play. Uh, Also one real quick thing on Olshik having sex again, another uh, cinematography thing I thought was hilarious. Normally like, you know, on a PG or PG 13 thing, they'll, they'll do metaphors, for sex so they don't have to show it and so we see the headboard rocking and then i thought we we're going to kind of fade away like yeah we get it they're having sex and then they just cut right to him you know doing her and it's like okay why did we need the headboard rocking shot by itself we're clearly going to understand what's happening olshik always has like at least you know the two times we've seen on the show he's always having very sensual sex which <laughs> i feel like is throwing me for a loop like he's having like romance novel sex every time and he's just a big lunkhead linebacker whose dad like killed his brother bio in the texas heat this doesn't seem congruent but i do like that he's like i feel like that's them also showing like oh all sentimental here's how we know how he makes love yeah um <laughs> uh, okay yeah and then so then there's the scene there on the field where will banks uh is talking to leon and you know telling him that he's going to start because dh is getting therapy but there's this weird line where at the very end he says you look tired get some rest and like to me that just sounded like a playful barb i don't know like what it's like necessarily hinting at, but Leon is like really upset by that. It's like you asshole. Uh, I mean, he's been also fucking Leon over throughout the year. So I feel like I get why Leon be mad about yeah. it, but I, but that's like the remark though, that I know, like that's one of the, like the women, like microaggression things that uh, they've complained about guys doing historically is like, they tell uh, like guys, tell women to smile and then guys will tell women like, Oh, you look tired. And for a woman that's like, Oh, you feel like shit. So I think that's the same line of thought because Leon as an aging running back has a similar mindset. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I think that's what it was. It's just like, Oh, it's like, you're insulting me and making it seem like I look like I'm not in the peak physical condition as I should be as a starting running back. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I just got distracted uh, by something. Everything is falling uh, off of my desk. Um, somebody must have maladied you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. Well, what did you say there at the end? Oh, just that. Um, I think with like Leon, it's like the, the, like telling a woman to smile or saying that she looks like, you know, looks tired or whatever, like women hate hearing yeah. that. And I think it's the same thing with Leon because he's supposed to be at the peak of his, you know, athletic, whatever thing starting once again, I guess he felt like it was just uh, like an underhanded dig kind of thing. So yeah, I don't know. I get it. Like the owner has been pretty shitty to him throughout and very supportive of DH, obviously. Uh, the guys are all yakking it up in the locker room about what they did with the girls at the party. Again, very 80s teen sex comedy kind of situation. McConnell asks Big Sexy about his girl. And Big Sexy says, you know what I do as the show flashes back to him carrying her coked up body into the ER. And then McConnell says it may have been a quote unquote ride share with DH, which is gross, but ended up being very factual. So McConnell, once again, just finger on the pulse of everything that's going on. Yeah, McConnell is... Uh... He's a comedian. I mean, just to his way with words and, uh, you know, you know, turning these word, you know, these phrases as uh, it's incredible. And McConnell is talking uh, to everyone again. They're all recounting their sexcapades, talking about the girl that Olchik is into and talking about her tongue biting. So Olchik punches him out. Olchik says it was his girl that he was talking about to Leon when Leon is trying to talk him off the ledge in, I guess, their weight room. Olchik is upset that McConnell doesn't seem to give a shit about her. Leon gives relationship to advice. And if there's one guy you can trust for relationship advice at this point, it's clearly Leon. Yeah. Um, also, the... Um, uh, 
there was the thing uh, with McConnell. What? Hang on, I'm looking at my notes here. He said, uh, "You, you want to get her back? You got to call her. I know something about that." <laughs> like, is it also uh i also want to point out to the assistant coach just further being like just the total cuck boy in this like he's facilitating like all of these hookups uh for the players it's like how did he get aside with this job yeah he well because he is a cuck boy i think that's, that's amazing. they can identify that as a part of his mo and that he's willing to do it for all the times but that is there is a scene where old chick has been leaving voicemails for beth he thinks mcconnell doesn't deserve her and all he gets uh and, and all that he's getting rather he's basically talking shit about mcconnell in a voiceover uh but then he apologizes to mcconnell mcconnell reveals that beth actually stood him up last night so he was just lying and doing the macho bravado thing again would have been a great way to, for him to be gay uh but doing the macho bravado thing talking about the tongue biting when it didn't happen and he said that uh she had mentioned that she had unfinished business with old chick then the team manager cuck boy does reveal that uh, old chick that has beth waiting out in the lobby and old chick tells her tells beth i want to be with you she says sounds like a good plan which a little bit of a a cold way to reply to that but i do feel like this was nice and i wrote in my notes hooray something nice happened on the show and a show where everything is miserable i think these two getting together is one of the few bright spots that i can point to yeah you know i'm glad that they're able to uh to reconcile here i think they are they're clearly meant for each other they clearly um you know have just been they've had some tough things you know i mean having your you know dad uh kill your brother you know having to pretend to like mcconnell very traumatizing things for both of them so they're meant for each other yeah i'm glad they all survived uh leon also monologues about how he knows robin is messed up because of the lying she seems depressed she's sleeping in bed she doesn't know what she's doing she's also back in her wrist wrap that she had defiantly taken off earlier. Leon wants her to come to the game with him and she agrees because he's starting today and he says he may never start again. So I guess that's enough. Leon and Robin are at the game. They see Samantha and Leon admits they lied to her and they'll talk to Samantha after the game. And I think this is Leon being a stand-up guy. It also feels remarkably dumb given all the lengths he just went to to get people to lie and cover this up for every episode we have seen. But I guess this is character growth and again feels like the show is actually doing things a TV show does. So I guess good. Yeah. It also though, it's like, he's like, I got to get my start in. This is my one chance to get my start in. I need to get my 20 carries and then we can tell the truth. <laughs> he's hoping he gets some DH numbers and everybody will be like, Oh, remember when he had 130 yards, like on 75 touches in that game? No big deal. Don't worry about the DV. Uh, DH is back in the, uh, back in the rehab center or the detox center. And he, big sexy, the lineman says the thing about DH, no matter how much you hate him, you can't hate him. DH and big sexy exchange tense words. And then DH seems happy. I guess that big sexy brought him into rehab. I don't know if that's necessarily the case or I'm just reading motivation. And um, yeah, I just feel like another nice scene here ish. I mean, relative to what we've seen, but uh, being a good friend, DH seemingly being grateful for him being a good friend, maybe progress here too. Yeah. Uh, it's also just the fact what, what, why is it so easy to forgive DH? I, I have yet to see the redeeming. He's got a nice smile. It's just, yeah. He's kind of like, like he's like a good looking guy. He's got like a friendly attitude. I like a smile. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, it's really his only redeeming quality is that, uh, that very nice smile. So, uh, yeah, you know, big sexy is going to continue to, uh, get taken advantage of, uh, until he, he gets some balls and tells DH to, uh, to fuck off. And then uh, apparently in the, the pregame speech here is that uh, Baltimore's coach Colucci is apparently going to run down Pennsylvania Ad Avenue in a jockstrap if Baltimore wins the Super Bowl. So the Cougars, it behooves them to stop him. And I feel like that's the worst bolts and board material this show could have possibly had. Let the guy run in a jockstrap if he wants. Try to win the game either way, I'd say. 
it was it was so bad because it was um the also the way he said it was like a punctuation to a rallying cry. He's like, do we want this to happen? No. It's like, yes, that's what's motivating us. Like, at least do something like, you know, if we win this game, our bonus incentives kick in and we get another two hundred thousand dollars. Like, I'm telling you, no one gives a shit what some other coach is doing because of a prop bet. Yeah, I, I would agree here, but uh, hopefully Colucci ready for the jockstrap moment, I would guess. Uh, we're in the game. Gerwitz is selling a fake and catching a 10-yard pass, which we have to assume is McConnell's longest pass of the year. And Gerwitz talks more about deception, and we learn first that he's been dodging is, in fact, a handsome gay man who does not want to do this anymore. And and there we are, Pete. Were you at, surprised at all by this revelation here from Gerwitz? Um, you know, it was one of those things where I can't say I explicitly knew that was going to be, but it made uh perfect sense there at the end. And, uh, I love how they, you know, are trying to count this as some big cliffhanger again on a character we haven't developed whatsoever or care about. So here we go. The awards for the episode, who has the most fantasy upside in this one? I feel like it probably has to be Gerwitz because we saw him catch something, but Leon filling in for a star running back, I think has to be the, the real logical answer. Yeah, no, I, I think so. Um, there's really no one else. We know they only use the running back in their offense. We know that they were using DH with all of these kind of, uh, uh, deception, uh, sweet plays, I believe was kind of what it looked like. So I assume Leon steps in and gets that work. So yeah, it, it has to be Leon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, tough defense to be going against. They haven't allowed a hundred yard rusher in two years. So hopefully that worked out for him. Most unrealistic moment of the episode. I feel like Beth still bangs McConnell one more time and then sorts it out the next day. <laughs> yeah. I think you get one more in there and then you kind of settle down for a nice long, you know, monogamous relationship with Olshik. Yeah, there's probably some other ones on there, but that one stands out. Moment that made the NFL most mad. I'm going to say DH not wanting to drop the coked out girl at the club is probably number one here, though. Uh, there might be a few more you could point to. Yeah, I would say the uh, the NFL doesn't like seeing one of their players in the back of a car with a girl who's convulsing would probably be something they would like to distance themselves from. Yeah, generally not going to be in the marketing materials, I guess. The happiest scene the NFL would have... Um, Man, that's another tough one. I feel like just maybe just Gerwitz cats in a pass and being good at deception would be one. Or I guess old chick greeting Beth and having that nice moment. They'd be like, oh, athletes, he's sure he's been through a tough life, but he loves his woman. I don't know. There wasn't a lot for the NFL to love here. Yeah, uh, NFL would probably like, um, like you said, the the hardcore football talk, talking about Baltimore's 3-4 defense, you know, some of the real rah-rah stuff. They're probably over there fist pumping. Yeah, they're like, oh, they patented the 3-4. Wow, big moment here for the NFL. Asshole of the episode, man, kind of old shit. Like, he acted like a little bit of a brat and forced his way to get what he wanted. It's still a nice story, but he did punch his teammate in the face, too, and, and also was a dick to Beth, so I just feel like he kind of has to be the asshole. But it's also, DH broke out of a detox and also almost killed a girl, so it might, might be DH. <laughs> I think it has to be DH. It's just almost almost impossible for him to to lose it i mean basically every scene he's just being a total asshole i mean we had one scene where he was like making up with big sexy and it was more big sexy making up with him uh yeah he, he's always the biggest asshole cool bro moment of the episode i think that's big sexy staying in the rehab center coming back to the detox after he went to practice um being accountable all that taking the girl actually to a paramedic and uh, instead of just leaving her on the curb i think this he wins the award like every week but he's just a, he's a cool bro i feel like he's my guy yeah uh he is he is a very cool bro i'm trying to think here um if anyone else 
Um, yeah, I Beth Will is kind. Beth Will is Banks kind with of the rehab could be it. Who? Will Banks with the rehab situation? Maybe just being like, hey, don't worry about a DH. We'll keep this quiet. Sends him to a detox. Nobody even hears about it. Like that's also a pretty yeah, cool bro moment. But there's something with Will. Ba like it's all calculated, right? It's all for his own financial gain. He doesn't. So it's not. It's not like the total chill uh, vibe. Um, let's say. There is now that I say it, there's like not a lot of people who just have any kind of chill in this episode whatsoever. I'm going to go with Beth. Like she was actually kind of like the cool bro about everything. Teammate bonding of the episode. I think DH and, and Big Sexy is probably it, but also uh, maybe Olshik twirling Leon around to celebrate him starting. Or maybe I think the best one might be just McConnell and Olshik bonding over the fact that, hey, McConnell doesn't care about that girl. Olshik loves her and he was happy to let her go. So I think that was McConnell, a pretty stand up guy with how he handled that one. Yeah, I thought that was good. Like I said, I'll continue to just say the entire team being at the club, you know, in solidarity, I think is, uh, I mean, the teammate moments are strong. They all bonded over the uh, little calendar Rolodex of the, uh, you know, the photos. So yeah, I, I'm impressed with the team bonding here. Best actor award. I don't know if you have a thought for this one. No, nobody jumps to mind here as having done a particularly good job. Maybe big sexy again, honestly. No, yeah, I was saying, um, uh, I, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting her name. Leon's wife, Robin. Uh, Robin. Yeah, uh, I thought that scene when uh, Samantha confronted her about that when they were having the on-the-record interview, and I could see the pain in her face because she had to lie while also just absolutely hating that she had to lie but also didn't want Samantha to get the win here. And I thought that was actually uh, pretty good acting there. Yeah, I think it's a reasonable one. Worst actor award? Um I, I don't think anybody did that bad of a job here, which is a rare one. Maybe, maybe Samantha. I just feel like she's smarmy in a way that I don't like, but uh, I don't Nobody really jumped out as doing a particularly bad job to me either. Uh, I, I'm going to give it to McConnell. I just don't buy this. Like he just perfectly talks in these turns of phrases and double on Pondros at all times. He's too dumb to do that. And seeing that wouldn't be on TV today, I feel like uh, probably dead girl being dragged to the hospital unless you have a different one. Uh, but uh, Pete, give me that one and playmaker of the episode here so we can close it out. Yeah, uh, definitely the, that <laughs> that hospital uh, scene was just absolutely absurd. Uh, playmaker of the episode, honestly, I do think it has to be Big Sexy. Like the amount of stuff he's pulling off here to um, basically just save DH's ass from further kind of uh, spiraling out of control. I mean, he's the one kind of making it happen. He shoves away one of the rehab guys. Um, who didn't want to let him in and just says, no, I've known him longer than blah, blah, blah. Who the fuck are you? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Big Sexy continues to make things happen. He's a good one. Gave him too many awards. So I'm going to give it to Gerwitz. He's fucking guys. He's making out with girls. He's also you know, making plays on the field. The only play we saw happen this week. So Gerwitz, once again, my man to look at. Follow at Chris Fags on Twitter. Follow at Peter Overzet on Twitter. And of course, follow at Splash Play Pod on Twitter as well. Pete, if you want to give any quick plugs here, if you want to jump off, that's fine by me too. Yeah, no, uh, no more streams uh, this weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning to draft uh, a best ball team at 10 a.m. But uh, yeah, otherwise, have a good weekend, everybody. All right, check that out. We'll see you guys again soon. Bye. <laughs>